0: Stripped by Sia, your podcast for strippers, sex workers, and all the fancy naked people in between. I am your host, Steph Sia. I am a stripper. You can find me on stage in many places, uh, namely in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and I'm also a digital content creator, so I do have an OnlyFans make fun, spicy content on that. And I was also a former sugar baby uh, a long time ago. Maybe I guess almost a decade ago at this point. (laughs) So I've had a lot of lived experience in sex work, and I'm not here to talk about my experience. But if you do want to hear about that, you can listen to season one on those AMA bonus episodes because people are always really curious about like what's your story. Um, Every week I bring on different people that are in the adult industry, so people that are cam models, people that are behind the scenes film directors, people that are part of nonprofit organizations, people who really want to help make Decrim a thing, uh, just pretty much anything and everything that is involved within the sex industry. I do that in order to provide a really transparent approach to sex work to really show what it is that we actually do without other people telling us how it is because we all know that doesn't really end very well at all. So um, yeah, it's just my little bit of an effort in terms of really trying to um, kind of like get rid of the stigma uh, that is so so apparent in our industry, and that's just a little bit about why I do and why I do this show for the past three years. So I just want to do a quick shout out here for the Patreon subscribers that are on the top tier platform, and that is Jay Senson. We also have Justin Erickson. We have Snoo Snoo all the way from Germany, and we also have Arab Sarkar. Thank you so much for contributing. um This is all all of your money is actually going towards the website that I'm building um that will hopefully by the time this is aired be out because it's supposed to be done back in May and I figured that I cannot do a website by myself I need to hire someone to do it so your money is going towards that so thank you in advance there are also a couple lower tiers as well that start at four dollars only which is like a price of a coffee um depending on where you get your coffee (laughs) and I just yeah feel free to peep the link it is patreon.com slash stripped by Sia and also shout out to Skyhawk After Dark TV, which is the adult industry network that I'm on, you can find some other cool uh, vidcasts, other podcasts and other shows that are within the industry on that network. So shout out to y'all over there. Okay, this spiel went from two minutes to three minutes now, so I'm going to stop talking about myself on this. So uh, this week, I'm super excited to bring on this week's guest. I got to meet this guest uh, back at the Why Not Reunion, back in Tempe, back in April. I met so many fantastic people during that event, and I was connected with Oliver Wong, who is the director of Delphine Films one of the founders as well which is an adult production company based here in Los Angeles but also has some roots uh, over on the other side of the pond in Asia which we'll be talking about we'll be talking about the differences or and or similarities between the Asian market and the North American market differences and similarities between being in front of the camera, because he has also just debuted recently to be an adult performer as well, so we're going to talk about being behind the scenes, being behind the lens, but also being in front, what those challenges and, I don't know, the best parts of both sides can be. And also, if you didn't know, Oliver Wong also does stand-up comedy as well, so be prepared to hear some jokes um over the next hour as well and also the host of the <laughs> get intimate podcast as well um geez did i forget anything over there or how was that
1: <laughs> it was great oh my god what an eloquent host you are
0: <laughs> i try i really are
1: you you really did a lot of research about your guest. Oh, I really appreciate it. Thank you. Oh, my God. I didn't even know I do so many things.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hello. I got to, like, you know, hype you up. So. <laughs> and, yes, yeah. I do a lot of research on all my guests. Like, every guest that I bring on to the show, I always... Almost- feel like there's something they could really offer a perspective that we haven't really talked about on the show. So and I definitely felt that when I met you back in April. So I am so excited to finally get you on despite all the back and forth schedule changes and (laughs) everything. So thank you, Oliver, for coming on the show. Can you tell the audience who you are in your own words and terms?
1: Oh, yeah, of course. Hey, hi, dear audience. My name is Oliver Wong. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, well, if you can see me, well, you will know I'm an Asian. I'm a Taiwanese immigrant, so I I was born and raised in Taiwan, and then I came to the U.S. seven years ago. So, I came here to pursue my master's in screenwriting, and then after I got my degree, well, I didn't have a job, so I just kind of took a bunch of jobs. And I started doing stand-up, and just about a year ago, a porn studio approached me and then asked me if I wanted to direct porn.
0: What? And because
1: I have a, de- yeah, and because I have degree, I have a bachelor degree in film production and a master's degree in screenwriting, so I'm familiar with the process of filmmaking. And then I'm like, oh yeah, sure, I can do it. Initially, I was doing it for the money. I was doing it for the money for about two months. Okay. And then after and after a while, I was like, oh, maybe I can bring in my story storytelling skills to porn. And then, so I had a few discussions with the studio. And then they decided to build Delphine, the brand that I have right now with me. So Delphine basically is a high-end porn brand that focuses on cinematic narrative driven porn right
0: right and that's like so interesting to see because i've seen some of the clips that you post on your instagram account um and it does really differ than some of the porn scenes that we might be typically accustomed to and you know it's funny how you mentioned the focus on storytelling because a lot of the time in porn, the, sh- the storyline is, like, so short. And it's just, like, let's go straight to the fucking.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, a lot of a lot of clips that you see on Pornhub, they have, like, one minute of dialogue, and then they start fucking.
0: <laughs> <laughs> one minute max. I mean, like, sometimes shorter than that. So.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so yeah.
0: Interesting. Yeah.
1: I, I think, sure, those kind of porn have its purpose which is to help people masturbate but like for me I don't just want people to masturbate of course I want me to meet people to masturbate but I don't just want people to masturbate I also want them to feel something whatever that means you know Mm
0: -hmm. yeah Uh, yeah. and that's rare I feel like we don't really see that side nor do production companies want to focus on that and is that something that maybe because I know that when we were initially talking, there was Roots, I think, with Delphine, I think, being uh, based in Hong Kong before. Like, just the, the the importance of, like, storytelling and, like, building it up and building, like, um, getting things hyped up. Is that more typical in the Asian market versus, say, the North American market or other markets as well? Because there's the Eastern European markets also, like, another thing as well.
1: Oh, that's interesting. Um, so, the headquarter is in Taiwan, but mm. we do produce content all over Asia. We produce content in Taiwan, China, and Japan. Okay. Oh, wow. So, from my observation, I do have to say Asian porn do have more storytelling for some reason. Hmm. Mm. I wonder and what is. I Yeah, and... But I think it's really a cultural thing because the way Asian people approach romance and sex is very different than American and or I don't know about Canadian. I've never been to Canada, so I cannot say for Canadian. But like let's just talk about American. So Mm -hmm. the way Americans approach sex and romance is pretty straightforward and direct. And then let's talk about dating culture in America. So you know in America people can date multiple people at the same time as long as they are on the same page okay but like in Asia you don't really do that you don't really date multiple people at the same time you just kind of go straight into exclusivity with one person so like yeah so I think they somehow influences the way people approach sex too like in America sex is everywhere is easy to happen Mm -hmm. and in Asia sure in asia people have sex people talk about sex but it's not as pervasive as america
0: right no <laughs> yeah. i can hear you and apologies sorry yeah. for the beeping in the background that's my rice cooker going off
1: <laughs> oh yeah oh you know, rice cooker love it
0: <laughs> you know as asians we gotta have a rice cooker <laughs> having some stir right fry later <laughs> but going back to your point um I have to agree with that for sure, and I think I think for sure it's deeply, deeply, deeply rooted in in the culture, um, how they treat sex, how they look at sex, um, the lack thereof when it comes to talking about sex, um, the lack thereof when it comes to even sexual education. It's very like at least, and then I'm just speaking about my own cultural upbringing. Um, In Canada, which is very similar to North America, but also just uh, in Asian culture, just it being really, really hush-hush, don't ask, don't tell kind of thing, and that kind of like it it being shrouded in mystery. Um, I find that my parents never wanted to ever talk about sex and made them feel uncomfortable. Uh, It was a taboo subject, Um, but when you – when I'm like with, say, like my white friends, they're so liberal about talking about sex. Um, even when it comes to like uh, like sex podcasts, like a lot of the hosts are, are like white or they're black and they're so open about talking about it where when it comes to me, when it comes to being Filipino Chinese, like it's a bit more, okay, We this is something that is private. This is something that is in the home and something that, we don't discuss i'm not sure about your own experience but you're free to bring your own experience into this as well oliver
1: yeah yeah so my mom she is very traditional but she's not conservative i think there's a difference so mm-hmm. she can yes. be like really traditional about yeah but she she's not approved that is what i mean and my my dad He is even weirdly liberal and open-minded. He talks about sex with me when I was a teenager. So my upbringing is not a little... It's it's not standard, okay? But I have a lot of Asian friends, so I know a lot of Asian families, they don't really talk talk about sex. And I do want to bring this back to the narrative point that I was just talking about. So I think it is exactly because North America is so open about sex. So the way they consume porn is, oh, it's porn, it's for sex, I just want to see the sex, I don't want to see the relationship, I don't want to see the build-up, but for Asian people, because in Asia, sex is not as openly talked about, so when they watch porn, they want to know how does that lead to the sex, they don't just want to see the sex, they want to see everything before the sex.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really important designation because they want to see how it's going to unfold. And I don't know if it's because like they want to be able to resonate with it or like really build into that storyline and get into that storyline. And that's more of like a natural and say organic and more maybe quote unquote realistic approach to to sex as opposed to like, you know, lots of like storylines and gonzo porn just being like boom, there's like some kind of fantasy or some kind of situation. And then the next thing you know, they're just they're just fucking right away, right? So.
1: <laughs> yeah. I just want to say like, how many times have we seen the plumber just come in the house and start having sex with the housewife? <laughs> <laughs> like in reality, in reality, you at least ask the plumber to take a shower. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, right. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I even thought about that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, like going back to Delphine Films. So there, sorry, and, and thanks for correcting me. There are offices in Taiwan and also Japan too. Were there specific reasons why? Um, is it rooted in in Taiwan first, and then they opened um, like a branch in Japan? Was that secondary?
1: Yeah. So. uh Yes, the, the short answer is yes. So the headquarter was just established three years ago. So it's actually a young company. However, um, because the adult industry in Asia is so heavily regulated historically, so there has never been any major porn studio in Asia. Mm-hmm. unlike Unlike America, like, I don't know. It has been legalized for at least 50 years. I was, yeah. I don't know, I'm just guessing. Yeah. A long so, time. <laughs> well, yeah, a long time. So, when our company was established, there was no major competitor. Mm. Is and that then, yeah. Sorry,
0: continue.
1: Oh, so I guess we got lucky. The managers, they are really smart about their business and strategy. So, they quickly grew in Asia. And then, they came to the U.S. about a year ago to open a U.S. branch.
0: Very smart, very smart. I wonder, and I'm not sure if you would know, Oliver, but um, because, I mean, sex work in general is very heavily regulated in Asia, um, and, like, you won't find strip clubs uh, or, like, anything like that um, in Asia. You'll find, like, hostess bars, Um, more, like, companionship, karaoke bars, stuff like that, Um, that, you know, and there are some kind of red light districts um, in many different countries in Asia, but they're really, really, really hush-hush, really quiet about that kind of stuff. Do you know anything about, like, the porn regulation, um, that aspect in Asia in terms of, like, how Delphine Films was even able to form (laughs) despite – So like, yeah, yeah, let's go into that.
1: (laughs) So uh, let me clarify, Delphine Film is a brand that is established in the United States and Mm -hmm. its primary consumers is Americans. However, uh, in Asia, we have different brands and then I can still answer your question. So like in China and at least I know in China and Korea, is technically illegal to consume porn and in China is illegal to produce porn
0: Wow okay. okay
1: but but our company we have a way to get around the business so people are still able to see our porn but I don't think I can disclose how because that is sort of like a confidential business technology but by- <laughs> so. <laughs> <That's> so- <okay. laughs> But my point is there are ways for Chinese people to consume porn but they have to get around it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's a loophole.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Totally. Yeah. And then the Philippines too, like there's um it's outlawed too. There's like a cyber sex law, um, that you're not allowed to um even go on sites like OnlyFans or clip sites. Um, so it's really hard for like Filipino, like native Filipino people in that country to even, like, have an OnlyFans, but, I mean, there is also a loophole around that too, <laughs> which I am not at liberty to say, but if you do want to hear more about that, listen to Salome Salve's episode in, I think, season one, um, sorry, season two, and, uh, we definitely speak about that, um, but, it, yeah, it is, um, and, I, like, the way that sex work and, like, just sex in general, how it's consumed there, it, it's so, like, on the down-low, um, It's so different. And also because a lot of the time it is outlawed, it's restricted, it's banned. Um, Do you think that really affects um, its consumers, like those that live in Asia, in terms of like how they would consume porn?
1: Oh, that is a good question. Well, I can only speak as a Taiwanese, so I've never really lived in China, Japan, or Korea. I only live in Taiwan. So I do have to say, in Taiwan, Taiwan is a really liberal country compared to a lot of Asian countries. So, yeah, like we have um, same-sex marriage and then uh, the pornography industry in Taiwan is, it's not illegal, but it's also not legal. It's not criminalized.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. (laughs)
1: Yeah, so a lot of people around me they consume porn and they talk about porn and they sometimes they will exchange porn as well. Like I remember when I was in high school, like a lot of my classmates they would just transfer porn between each other on their cell phones and stuff. So I think in Taiwan, I think in Taiwan there isn't too much stigma around porn.
0: Wow, that's so awesome to hear that because like you, I mean, oftentimes will. And the people that I've spoken to on the show from, like, Singapore um, and from the Philippines, they're just like, well, it's like a, a thing you just don't talk about and it's a thing that you don't do. So I think that can really affect people's attitudes um, when it comes to to the work, to sex work, right? And the sex industry. So, I mean, going back to you and your story and you started directing – tell us about what those first couple months were like, because then I think you said it was about two months that you're behind the camera, and then you're like, well, maybe we'll consider switching it up.
1: Yeah. uh, So I think for the first couple times as a director, I was um, very anxious about how much I can do. Because, well, first of all, I don't know the comfort level of each actor. I don't know if they want to act or they just want to fuck. So I always have to kind of guess, okay, if I cast her, does he or she want to do the lines or does she just want to do the sex? Okay, there's one concern on my mind. And the second concern is, I was very ignorant about the industry. So I didn't really know a lot of porn stars and I don't know who these people are. And then, so my company they would just assign me the cast and i was just like okay sure whoever you wanna give me i will direct them and now looking back i realized a lot of porn stars that i worked with in my first two months are big stars but i was just so oblivious (laughs) do you know chloe do you know chloe cherry
0: yeah oh my god i worked
1: with no way i worked with i worked with her on my Second shoot or third shoot. And I had no idea who she was.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And for those who are listening, we don't know who Chloe Cherry is. Chloe Cherry is a big adult actress. And also now, I guess like a TV and film actress as well. If you've ever watched Euphoria season two, you'll be familiar (laughs) with who she is. Or just do a Google search.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So, so the first couple of months, I was just trying to gain my knowledge about the industry. And I was like, OK, so now I have a pretty solid understanding of uh, who are the stars, who are newbies. And I have a solid working connection with major agencies in Los Angeles. And I kind of know the comfort level of the actors like I know who want to act, who don't want to act. And now like every time if I work with a new talent I will always make sure I have a phone call with them to talk about the project to make sure this is what they want to do. Because my script is longer. So the actors they have to memorize the line. Yeah, they have to memorize the lines before coming to set. Otherwise we are not able to finish the shoot. So I will definitely let them know, hey. The way I shoot porn is a little different. We might have to do multiple takes on one scene. This is not a one take kind of approach. This is multiple take, and we have multiple angles. It's like shooting a movie, but with sex at the end. Yeah, cause some porn stars, they don't wanna do multiple takes. They just wanna do like two takes and move on. Oh,
0: yeah, interesting. So that's that's a perspective pers- uh, that is a perspective I hadn't heard of before. When I was speaking with other producers and other directors too. So, so the way that specifically Delphine Films is multi shot, multi scene, multiple takes is what you're saying versus like other. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. And I guess with, with other porn companies, um, I mean, to your knowledge, is it more like longer one-shot takes if possible? And they're like, we got the scene, okay, done. Like we're done for the day. Or how does that usually work for those who are listening and at home who might be curious?
1: Yeah, so uh, it really depends, it, it really depends on the director and the budget. So if you have a big budget, of course you can shoot as many days as you want, but most prone studios they don't have that much budget. So we usually have to finish the scene within one day. Wow. And then and most the studios they have skeleton crew. So they probably have, I don't know, five people on set. And then when you have that amount of people, it's not gonna be as fast. So you can only do like one angle or maybe two angles. In one scene, and then you have to move on. But for me, we do put a little bit more budget, and we have more people on set, so we are able to do multiple angles in one scene. Mm-hmm. And that is, it's basically like shooting a movie or maybe a TV show. Like you will see, oh, this is a dialogue scene, but the camera change like six angles. Wow. And. And when you have that many angles, some porn stars, they are not used to it. So they will be a little confused. Why are we still shooting a dialogue scene instead of moving on to the sex? Right.
0: Yeah. yeah. So I guess you like, yeah. So as you mentioned, if you are shooting with someone new or someone new that has not been on your set before, you kind of have like a like a pre-brief um, phone call like a chat with them and that is standard for delphine films is that pretty standard for other porn sets or not really
1: you mean having a phone call yeah uh not really but i do know some porn studios if they want to do some kind of special projects they do have to rehearse or even talk to the talents before the actual shooting yeah yeah mm-hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: yeah Yeah, because then you obviously you want like um whoever is in like the performer you want them to feel prepared and be prepared so you're not just spending and wasting time (laughs) um during your film precious precious film days right so that's interesting yeah
1: oh i just want to just add to that like i know one point studio they did a scene with adult film star Vanna Badeau. Do you know
0: her? No, no.
1: So Vanna Badeau, she is also a professionally trained ballet dancer. And then this Pon studio, they did a scene with her in which she was dancing ballet. So it is a whole choreography So I'm pretty sure LePron Studio had a lot of discussion and the rehearsals with her before the actual shooting. Yeah,
0: Yeah, because that's going to be like an an added, like additional scene that requires, um, as you mentioned, choreography. There's a bit more care that comes in with that too. You can't just like, I mean, I'm sure she can just freestyle it too. But like you, you, when you're filming a scene, there's certain timing and like things that you want in the scene too. So it's hard to just kind of wing it. So
1: yeah. Yeah, 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 definitely.
0: Gotcha. So directing, I mean, how... When you switched over, because this is something new. <laughs> I remember you made the announcement a couple months ago um, that you switched over to performing. When, When or what contributed to you making that decision?
1: So... I before I got into porn directing I was already posting pictures pictures of me in underwear on social media but okay. I didn't think too much of that I was just like oh I just like oh I'm a gay man and a lot of gay men we post pictures of us in underwear on social media this is normal and I don't mind it I want to kind of show off my body <laughs> in a friendly way In a really friendly way. I don't think think I'm aggressive about showing off. I'm just like, yeah, this is who I am. Hey, see me. Okay, anyways. (laughs) But after I started directing porn, and then I started to meet many porn stars, and I got to know them, and I'm like, oh, it is liberating to show your sexuality in front of people. Mm. And as a stand up comedian, a well I I also write a lot. So as a stand up comedian and as a writer, I realize I have always been searching for a kind of a sense of liberation mm. as an artist. Like I wanna people to see who I am. And I think there is a commonality between being a stand-up comedian and a porn performer or adult performer, however you want to call it, like both occupations require you to reveal who you are as a person.
0: Yes, both very vulnerable. Mm -hmm.
1: Yes, and I think that was what drowned to me to, you know, being an adult performer in front of I wouldn't even say myself as an adult performer. Right now, I'm just posting videos of me masturbation on OnlyFans. I don't know if they count as a performer, but whatever.
0: Yeah, I mean, well, creator. I mean, if anything, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. many of that's such yeah. an interesting entry point into sex work um, that I haven't heard of very often on this show. So it's a really, really welcome perspective. And, and especially you too, even like how you got your job <laughs> as a director, you weren't even in this industry before. Like that was just something new for you as well
1: yeah and the way I got a job is is not a interesting story I just got referred to it so I'm like okay (laughs) sure why not
0: (laughs) yeah oh my gosh that's so fascinating I mean just like sometimes people are just like ooh, like I get to work in porn and like that kind of glitz and glam kind of sensationalized bit but for you it's just like oh this is gonna be a job like this is money is gonna be my motivator this is what it's going to be so you were just kind of treating it in that way but I guess it sounds like to me and you can correct me if I'm wrong that you're really able to kind of see a different side that you know even want it even inspired you to get in front of the camera as well is that is that the case too because I feel like maybe if it wasn't for porn then you wouldn't be doing your OnlyFans count.
1: <laughs> no I wouldn't be yeah uh, yeah I mean before porn, I've always been jokingly saying that, oh, maybe I will be on OnlyFans, but I never really consider it. But after I got into porn business, I'm like, oh, this is a business and people will buy it. And then, hey, if people want to buy it, hey, if I can provide it, I'm going to provide it.
0: Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I mean, like, it sounded, too, like you might have had some other opinions about sex work before. Like, did you want to share um, what se- like what you had previously thought uh, sex work was? Because a lot of people, you know, of course, we were always making OnlyFans jokes or whatever. Like, oh, if I, you know, if I lose my job and become a stripper or, you know, I just got to make some extra money so I'll start an OnlyFans account. Like, we've, we've all heard these kind of comments and jokes before. Um, what were your attitudes before coming into the adult industry?
1: Uh before coming to the adult industry I've always thought the sex industry should be completely legalized in America I am completely supportive of that and uh I I mean I have also you know exchanged sex for money before <laughs> so for me I think yeah so for me I think that's just it is it is a business and it's healthy if it's two consenting adults doing business is it's healthy yeah yeah Yeah.
0: no I agree too and I just feel like a lot of the times we're misconstrued or people don't really understand the job or understand the dynamics and stuff too. But as you mentioned, it is treated like a business like that. I That's the way that I view it as well. Is that like, well, you know, I got to be strategic about this stuff. I got to be consistent. And, you know, I have to post on time and like not be late on things when I promise a custom video and stuff like that. Like it's really important. Otherwise, you're going to lose your clients. You're going to lose your followers. And that's just not a great work ethic <laughs> to get behind
1: <laughs> yeah exactly and here's the thing i like you use the word clients That's exactly the point if they pay you or if they pay me whatever i would feel like hey i need to honor my promise i need to provide a service because they are paying me it's my job to keep them happy you know yeah
0: it's so true yeah i mean yeah as you had grown up in Taiwan and now again, moving to America and embarking into the adult industry, do your close friends or family know what you do like in the industry? Oh, yeah, we get the full-on nods, yes. Uh, do you want to speak about yeah. that?
1: Yeah, so I, uh, before I took this porn directing job, I was like, well, I need to tell my parents first. So I told them, hey, uh, I have this possibility of being a porn director how do you guys think well my mom as an asian parent she's like oh whatever as long as you are making money i don't care that's all she cares she just want to know if i make yeah. money so yeah yeah it's so 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 she's like, yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah so she's like yeah sure as long as you're making money and i'm like yeah i am so i just yeah so i took the job and they are fine with it and i also Told all my friends. I post it on my social media, so they are all aware, and they are all fine. And in fact, just like two months ago, a major Taiwanese magazine publication they interviewed me, and then they published an article about me being a porn director in America. So, oh my, God. I my yeah. So my point is, I think mainstream society in Taiwan probably doesn't have. As much stigma as as, as as China or Korea,
0: right? Yeah, where it is really, really heavily regulated and restricted and stuff. It's so nice to hear that. I love. Oh my gosh, I just love to hear this. And like, it's very to me sounds very progressive, as well as like your parents. And of course the people you surround yourself with, I think that's super healthy. And it's it's so so important to have that support network because, you know, sometimes and, and I'm sure there might be people listening here who might know someone where their family hasn't been so supportive, um, especially in in an Asian ha- Especially in an Asian household. I cannot speak today. Um, just because I and I'm just stereotypically speaking here, but um, and I'm also coming from my experience. But Asian parents can be pretty strict sometimes.
1: <laughs> yeah, they are. Yeah, I do have to say, though, I my parents, they don't know I'm doing OnlyFans. So I don't, <laughs> I don't even know how to tell them this. I think they would probably be okay with it because I'm making money out of it. But <laughs> I don't know. I don't know.
0: Yeah, it can be <laughs> tricky. I mean, like, I, I'm very picky choosy about, like, the truths I tell my parents, like I i am pretty open on my social media as well. Like it's all out there. Um, and I work at a club. I don't exactly like say the type of work that I do at a club. And like, I'm like, Oh yeah, I do modeling, but I don't say like what kind of modeling it is. <laughs> um, and I, I don't think there's anything wrong with, you know, the decision to not tell your parents what it is you do because
1: yeah.
0: each parent is a bit different each family is a bit different um and especially when there can be like religion and other traditions that can be involved it can further complicate matters and sometimes just better just leave it as is so
1: <laughs> yeah yeah so so do your parents know what you actually do
0: i have never like explicitly told them what I do. Um, I think my dad is like street smart and is savvy and knows what I do because he. we had a drunken conversation one night in Mexico when we went there and he had like a heart-to-heart talk with me and was like, whatever it is that you do, just know that I'm proud of you. And like, you just addressing it, but like not really – Addressing it, if you know what I mean. (laughs) Yeah. I
1: see. I see. Yeah.
0: And then, like, my mom, she is, like, very, very super religious, you know, Catholic Filipinos, like, hardcore style. And she would just probably die or just judge me. And I've, like, tried my best in terms of, like, educating her as much as I can to be, like, Oh, this is what sex work is. Like, what is your perception on sex work? What's the first thing that comes to mind when it comes to sex work? Oh, but sex work can be many different things. And because she you knows I advocate for this stuff. Um, yeah. You no, know to the full extent, like, why? <laughs> but
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Sometimes it's just safer to be like willfully blind in, in this kind of perspective.
1: And I do, and I do think sometimes parents they don't really want to know the full truth, anyways. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I feel like I mean, and it's kind of going back to one of our earlier conversations, like the difference between, um, even though I was raised North Mer- in North America, sometimes like when I compare myself to like some of my white peers, they were disabled to talk to their parents about this kind of stuff and just having that open kind of relationship, but. Um, with like Asian style parent parenting, there was really a divide between I am the parent and you are the child and know your role and not having that buddy buddy system that, you know, you see in movies or like I had personally witnessed with some of my friends growing up. So it can be, it can be like a little bit tricky. Um, and I really do feel that there are inherent differences between cultures, um, at least between North America and, and Asian culture, I'm not sure if you share the same or share a similar kind of sentiment to that, but you're free to chime in,
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely, like uh, I believe all the Asian families that I know they are not really articulate about their love for their child. It's always very subtle, they don't talk about it, I've never, never heard my dad say I love you to me or to my mom or to my younger brother but yeah. you hear why parents say I love you all the time but here is the thing though i don't believe you really need to articulate your love for your child to know you love them but what is more important is if you actually have some kind of gesture of love for your children like for my for my parents they never really say they love me directly But a lot of things they do, a lot of actions they do make me know they love me. And I think that is enough for me personally.
0: Oh, yeah, 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 I... Yeah. have a very similar upbringing to you as well. Like, my parents never told me they love me ever. And that, to me, it wasn't foreign. That was just the way that, it, like, I grew up. Um, and then, like, now, because my mom spends a lot of time, like, going up north, because my brother and his family live up north, and in their family dynamic – and, of course, every family is different, um, but they always say, like, I love you to each other um, before they leave the house, or I love you before they, like, go away or something – And that has just become, like, so regular for them because that's what they do in their household, and that's totally fine. But then my mom was, like, trying to – she, like, comes back here to Vancouver and is, like, even on the phone, she's, like, trying to, like, say I love you and stuff, and it's just been, like, so foreign to me. And, like, as a 32-year-old, like, trying to instill those new habits is, like, really weird.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It's like, well, mom, I think I'm used to your silence.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And I prefer the silence. Like I would just rather like a bye and stuff. And, you know, for those listening, feel free to chime in um, at any time, like in the comments um, or just message us. Cause like I'm always curious to hear what different upbringings are. And even like with um, Eastern European or just, or European in general, I feel like they're they're really liberal over there too um, about sex, uh, about drugs, about food, about like different life experiences too um, and just liberal in so many ways. Like even when it comes to like public nudity, like when they have like, you know, clothing optional beaches and that just being a normal thing. Um, and I don't know, like I would love to see more of that. Um within our culture one day. <laughs> but who knows? Yeah, yeah. Do
1: do do you mean within our Asian culture?
0: Yeah, within Asian culture. Oh. Yeah.
1: But, yeah, like I don't know any nude beach in Taiwan. I don't think it even has one.
0: <laughs> no, no.
1: <laughs> yeah. I
0: mean I mean to a certain extent though, too, in North American culture too. Like I think North Americans have like a weird thing about bodies. Um, and what bodies can be um, acceptable being naked, shown on screen or shown in public and whatnot. Like, and maybe that's just like what we've been fed with the media and like modeling and just ads and stuff like that. But I have opinions. <laughs> I clearly have opinions.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think as a gay man, I'm lucky because I think gay culture, generally speaking, is pretty liberal and pretty open-minded. So like, like I know, like in San Francisco... Uh, in Castro people will just walk around showing their dick. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, and then there are a lot of gay nude beach around uh, Southern California too. Yeah.
0: Wow. Oh, that's nice. I mean, like let's kind of t- dig into that really quickly as well. I mean, just like t- as a gay man, like how have those experiences differed? than say, like, a heteronormative experience. Because as you mentioned, like, and I have many, like, (laughs) lots of friends that are in the LGBTQ community too. And there is definitely, obviously, really, really challenging experiences um, because of the way that you identify, but also lots of great experiences that are just so much more accepted, like bodies and being naked and just being out. Do you want to speak about that a little quick? A little
1: bit? Yeah. Yeah, I think for some reason gay men love showing their bodies on social media. And uh, (laughs) I think it is. Good and also bad. I mean, just like everything else in life, there are always good sides and bad sides. So I think the reason why gay men want to show their body is because historically they have always been sexually repressed, so they didn't really have a outlet to show their sexuality. But now, you know, being gay is completely fine, and then you can get married, can do whatever you want as a gay man. So and right now with social media, gay men have this social media as a tool as a tool to show their sexuality. So that's why they wanna take advantage of it. And I think there's the good side of it. Yeah. But the bad side of it but, but the bad side is not every gay man has good bodies. I I'm and when I say good bodies, I mean I think good body is not. Let me correct myself. When I want to say good body is, I don't. Not every gay man has muscles. Not every gamer is beefy. Like me, I'm like I'm really thin and slim, and I can sometimes feel like I am not attractive enough compared to a lot of insta gays.
0: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And, I know.
1: yeah. And that could be a problem for some people, I believe. Yeah.
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, that yeah. can be really tricky. I mean, there's challenges, obviously, with any kind of marginalized group. Of course, the LGBTQ community being a very marginalized group, um, but also sex work, sex workers, being yeah. also a very marginalized group as well. Um, going back to what you were saying earlier, um and mm-hmm. trying to tie it back because we went through so many tangents. <laughs> so many tangents here as usual. Um, tying it back to Delphine Films and also with the work that you do. Um, does Delphine Films mainly just do like straight porn? Or is there also... Uh,
1: cur- uh, currently, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, currently just straight porn.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are there any other plans to expand as well or that you can share?
1: <laughs> uh, we have been always talking about making a gay porn brand, but it, it's just so far down the line. I don't know when it's going to happen, but we do have the thought. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah.
1: yeah.
0: Interesting. I mean, going back to, um, I guess, like what we can expect from the porn that you produce, can you kind of walk us through that process um, as a director? Um Yeah. What, like, even coming to, like, story development and, like, if you're if you're producing a brand new porn, what is the process for you? How does that work? Yeah, okay. I mean, I don't want to talk so, about that.
1: <laughs> so, for me, so, first of all, there are not many film locations that are allowed for adult film shoots. There are some, but not many. So, sorry, I need to berg a little bit. No, that's okay. So... What I do is I will take a look at all the locations available for adult film shoots. And then I will write a story that can happen in the location. Mm. So, for example, I will look at this cafe shop, let's say. Okay, this cafe shop is okay for porn. Then I will be like, then I have to write a story that can happen in this cafe shop. Hmm. So I will just start to write the script. It takes me about three to four days to finish a draft, and I don't have too much time to write scripts because we have to produce four videos a month. So oh,
0: wow. I just have
1: to. I have to be like a factory. I just have to keep <laughs> writing, writing three or four days. Yeah, oh three God. to four days, one script, and then once I have the script, I start to do casting. And then I started to do a shot list, breakdown. Like, okay, mm-hmm. this is the shot I want, blah, blah, blah. And then mm-hmm. we have a production meeting and then we go to shoot.
0: Wow. yeah, There's a lot of work that that's involved. And especially with that timeline. Uh, it's like tight, 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 tight. Got to get going. <laughs> no dilly-dallying. I mean, it sounds like... Um, because you mentioned there aren't a lot of places that you can shoot porn in. Um, Are these places already established that you go to or are you also location scouting at this point and like having to ask permission from the owners? Like how does that whole aspect work? If you can share.
1: (laughs) All right. Okay, so yeah. In terms of location scouting, so we do have a list of established locations that we can reach out to. So that's easy. But sometimes I want a new variety of locations. I want new locations. So we will go on, you know, peer space or uh, location sites and just reach out to random people and be like, hey, we are a studio and we want to shoot adult films at your place. Is it okay? And I have to say, surprisingly, I would say thirty percent of the time people are fine with it. Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah, I wanted to ask about that. Like, do you get a lot of pushback from from people or like owners and stuff that they're like, "No, I'm not comfortable with you filming here," and whatnot.
1: So uh, sometimes we do get pushback from the location. Some people they will be like, "Oh, we don't want to do adult films. We we don't allow nudity." But every but they usually put it really gently. I've never really get any harsh judgment from any location people. Yeah,
0: that's good. I'm I'm glad to hear that too. And it's just like, well, we're just using the space. Like it's it's not it's not a big deal. And like a lot of people, like when I book like Airbnbs and peer space, or whatever, like I might be having sex in that bed. Like how does that differ? Yeah, <laughs> then you know what i
1: mean i think they are just concerned that if people shoot porn there they would deter hollywood mainstream companies to come to use their location yeah
0: Mm, maybe i mean we will never know we will never know why yeah so (laughs) cool i mean well this has been such a fantastic uh conversation today that i've had and we've gone through many different tangents all related and all things that i'm interested in and hopefully you the listener have also been engaged in as well but uh oliver it is this time of the show where we kind of go into some q a from the audience there's just a few questions that have come in so yeah are we ready to do it let's rock and roll
1: yeah all right
0: Let's do it. Okay. Ah, the first question is, and you're free to not answer any questions, of course. But the first question is, what turns him on?
1: Ha! What turns me on? Uh, I like men who are older than me, who are rich, <laughs> who know, <laughs> and who have a career. <laughs> <laughs>
0: We have a lot in common, Oliver.
1: But but let me clarify. I think men who have a passion and know his shit usually is rich.
0: Yeah, usually. Yeah. Fingers crossed. (laughs) Great answer. Um, We have some more questions here. Um, Do you find that there is a difference in professionalism slash decorum when working with models from a completely opposite from completely opposite sides of the globe
1: i've never worked with any asian talent so i cannot speak to that question
0: yeah Mm. yeah gotcha gotcha okay and the last one here is is the development of the industry universal or have they independently grown into completely different practices from one another
1: Uh, Is this question referring to different countries or just America?
0: Uh, Up to you, however you want to digest the question. Oh my God.
1: (laughs) Sorry. Can you rephrase that question again? I was a little confused by what it actually means.
0: (laughs) Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Um, So the question itself is, is the development of the industry universal or have they independently grown into completely different practices from one another? So how I can perceive this, like as you did, this can be from country to country or from different areas in the world. This could also just be talking about the porn industry as a whole um, in terms of like how it's developed. So how I kind of perceive that to be, I feel like there are... A lot of different shifts when it comes to porn um lots of like on-trend porn that we do as opposed to like maybe back in the 70s when there were more of like a storyline um before and then now maybe that's just like becoming less and less in terms of like North American porn but that's just how I kind of digested the question but it's up up to you completely how you want to respond to. Yeah, it.
1: yeah, yeah. That is a good question. So I think there de- there is definitely some universal uh, trend that is shared by different countries and continents, and there are some definitely some universal practices in porn across different countries. So let's talk about cam girls in Asia. There is cam girls in Asia. There is only fans in Asia. There is whatever American has, but just different versions of it. So I think in term, so just in terms of practices, I think it's universal. but there are definitely some nuances there. Right? let's just talk about like like I, like we discussed in the very beginning of this interview that Asian porn usually have more plot than America. And if you look at Japanese porn, I'm not saying Japanese porn is all, you know, excellent or whatever but they do have a lot of stories but sometimes their porn will depict a really taboo human relationship that is not allowed to depict in america
0: <laughs> oh. yeah. <laughs> yeah. gotcha yeah. gotcha yeah that makes sense for yeah. sure yeah great question whoever wrote that and i think that was in from a fellow sex worker Maya, who wrote that in. So thank you for that. Um, but Oliver, before I let you go, where can the world find you?
1: Oh, yeah. You can find me on Instagram at Oliver Wong Comedy and on my OnlyFans, Oliver Wong Comedy. And I'm also on TikTok. Yeah. Oliver Wong Comedy.
0: <laughs> Perfect. Easy. Easy. So. <laughs> It's been so many guests that come on and then they have, like, different usernames because they've gotten deleted before, like, oh, this is my username for this, it's for that, and... It's crazy, but yours, nice and simple, Oliver Wong, comedy across all platforms, y'all. So go ahead and give him a follow, Um, message him if you like the show, comment, all that stuff. And for everyone else at home, um, it is new episodes every single Sunday, uh, wherever you get your podcast. It's literally on every single platform. I would really appreciate a five-star rating if you really enjoyed the show, Um, also a nice Review maybe on Apple Podcasts if you consume there. I know a lot of you listen and consume on both of those platforms. So that would do me a huge pay- favor in terms of people finding the show. And if you want to reach out, if you love the episode, if you hate the episode, if you have comments, if you have opinions, please check me out on Instagram, Twitter, and Patreon. And it's stripped by Sia across all of those platforms. Thank you so much, Oliver Wong, for coming on the show today. Really appreciate you having me here Thank today. Thank you so
1: much, Sia. I had so much fun.
0: Thank you. Bye. Bye. You're listening to Stripped by Sia. Hosted, produced, and edited by Steph Sia, music by Ted D, graphic design by Maria Bellenderama, and photography by Ian Dabrin.